0: For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively you can find our new patreon page at patreon.com then search for resilience unraveled so let's get started enjoy the show hi all and welcome back to resilience unraveled um and i'm talking to someone incredibly special today She's going to tell you how special she is in a little while and I'm sure you're going to discover for herself. But this is Elise Mazlonik and um, to be talking to her today. Hello, Elise. How are you?
1: Hi, how are you doing? It's good to be here.
0: Great. Superb. But we've just been chatting earlier about the fact that you're going to be on the news in an hour, hour or so. So yes. uh, What what have you done? What's what's going on? Tell me about it.
1: Sure. So we are um, raising through a t- uh, the news uh, having a telethon to raise scholarship funding for underprivileged kids and students um, through elementary all the way until high school so that they can um, maybe get out of a failing school district in their area and have the means to do so.
0: Sounds brilliant. Mm-hmm. So no interview from Tucker Carlson, though, to look forward to. Eh? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, uh, sorry, that's not really a news program, though, was it?
1: <laughs> no, it was not. I, it was not. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's lovely to chat to you. And um, first of all, um, I thought you were going to tell me that this was a news program celebrating your recent achievement about uh, 100 Most Significant Women in America, something along those lines. Well, tell me yeah, a little it about was, that. Come on. someone.
1: Yes, it was really exciting. Just uh, this week, I found out um, through the No Women and... Uh, presented by JP Morgan and Chase that I was selected as one of the top 100 women to know in America, which was really cool to open um, that message and see that I was selected.
0: There you are. So we're, we're not slumming it today. We have someone <laughs> in, in our midst that we can say we know, Elise, <laughs> and uh, how fantastic is this? So um, brilliant. Well, thanks for spending time with to, to us today. you obviously come across the pond. Tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so I am. I'm from Pennsylvania in oh, the United yeah. States. Uh, yeah. and on the East Coast, and um, I really started out. I I had. I feel as though I have lived um, a similar upbringing than uh, as as people in you know hard times. Um, so I started my life in a domestic abuse shelter. And that's really where my story began. And we had, you know, in the US, obviously, childhood poverty is a big issue that they don't really talk about um, on the world stage, but it really is prevalent here. And I was that statistic. Um, So with that, poverty comes and lack of financial resources also comes oftentimes abuse or mistreatment or neglect through your either biological parents or step-parents. And it was, you know, my, my biological father who, um, you know, forced us into a domestic abuse shelter. And thankfully though, the night that he um, had, had, had done what he'd done, um, he attempted to murder uh, my mother along with uh, my sister and I were home at the time. And uh, we were, so grateful the neighbor came over and through the siding glass door saw what was happening as he was holding an axe wow. and was able to call the police and he saved our lives that day along with you know my mom being able to keep her strength and keep her consciousness and fight for her kids lives yeah. um but we were able to make it to the domestic abuse shelter and and have a safe haven um and I've you know gone through, you know, other traumas in my life. But I think the biggest thing that I want to bring awareness to, especially in America today, there is so much political pushback happening where they, you know, many of the legislatures, they don't want to fund these social programs. They don't see it. They see it as a waste of money. And, but oftentimes what happens is if they don't invest in it now, the issues and problems that are caused in the future are way more expensive and there are truly lives that will be lost from their decisions
0: Mm. okay brilliant well you've given us a huge amount to go up there so that's absolutely brilliant thank you very much so um i mean uh, places of safe haven refuges places like that um social care all this sort of idea there are people who go into that world and they come out completely scarred battered bruised mentally physically whatever it might be they have a terrible time but you seem to have found that process um or you've been able to deal with that process and move Mm -hmm. forward and it's made you stronger in a way so could you talk a little bit about that because it's um for me resilience is the key of what we talk about here and it seems it strikes me that the resilience. Something about you or something about the process you've gone through has developed that resilience, or maybe you had it in the first place. Could you widen the subject around that?
1: Yeah, and I love what your podcast is about. So again, thank you so much for having me on because I look back and resilience is such a key Mm. to where I am today. And the process, I got so angry, Russell, Mm -hmm. Like I got so angry with what had happened to me in my life and how I was treated and how I was really left behind. Right. And at least in America and probably society as a whole, we're treated that anger is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And you got to get rid of it and you should be ashamed of anger. And, you know, you got to be the bigger person and forgive and all of those things. And I found myself kind of this burning rage inside of me that it was too too big to put out. And I didn't know what to do. And so I really learned that anger could be a tool to, you know, it can be used for bad, but it is so powerful when you can transform that anger into something good. And we have this saying in my family, and I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but we call ourselves cockroaches. And it sounds really gross and disgusting and weird. um, But we always say that, you know, if an atomic bomb dropped on this world, our life built us to be the ones to survive, right. to rebuild humanity. Yeah. And, and it is just that, that belief that the struggle that I've gone through in my past, there is nothing in my future that could be as bad. So yeah. I know that I was built to overcome it.
0: Yeah, no, and I think that's really brilliant. And, and there's a double narrative. You always hear that one of these two narratives uh, with people who've had a difficult background, either it's it's it has defined them negatively often, so they have become less than they, they were capable or mm-hmm. somehow they've been able to rise above it and use that process they've and and it and what it gave them was perspective it said mm-hmm. nothing could be as bad as this i have nothing to fear mm-hmm. and i think i think that perspective is vital and i don't know whether educationally or parentally whether whether we allow kids these days to have those difficult experiences so they never build that perspective
1: mm-hmm. i 100% agree i remember I think a lot of the resilience I did for so long, I knew that poverty was in my blood. I knew that trauma was in my blood and that was the generational affliction before me that was bound to happen to me. Right. Mm. But going through that situation and really trying to be a sponge to my surroundings and see like, how are other people getting out of this? Right. I looked at my mom and I saw, you know, yeah, she had all of that too in her But boy, does she have resilience in her blood and tenacity and that defiance to go through and even out every single odd that is stacked against you. And that's what motivates me. And I think in our family, we kind of stop that cycle because all of us had that desire to not fit in the box that society tells us to fit in.
0: And that's fascinating the way you you express that because you're actually you're showing that as a sign of good or a sign of parenting um Mm -hmm. some people will have views on that and you know Mm -hmm. i think i would say it was good parenting but you're not saying this is genetic you're actually saying that grit and determination that mindset in a sense is something that you learn and you develop and you and you have been passed it on because your mother had it it's not something that's genetic is it it's Mm -hmm. it's inherently learnable isn't it and therefore Mm -hmm poor parenting, uh, weakness of character, or or whatever, signs of learned helplessness, Something the learned helplessness is deliberate, isn't it? Because it is learned. And um, I just wonder where your mother learned it from. Did she go through a similar sort of period of um, hardship as well?
1: Yes. And it's so funny, I actually went to school for sociology. So the study between nurture versus nature is mm. always very interesting to me. me. Um, so I'm glad that you pointed that out. But um yeah, I, I think for me, watching her just scrape by yeah. and pull herself out of desperation, it really gave me a roadmap that if I was willing to follow it. And it sometimes was ugly, Russell. It, sometimes it was really ugly, but each time she just kept trekking forward. And um, so yes, it is learnable. But my mom, she she went through struggles on her own. I mean, my, my biological father was terrible to her. Mm. So the fact that she was even able to get out on her own, let alone bring her kids out of that is beautiful and and such a triumph over that tragedy. So yeah, she definitely learned that. Um, But as you said, perspective, it is all about perspective and I could sit here for hours and go through every single thing that happens in my life. And it, it's a lot of bad. It genuinely is a lot of bad. And when people hear it, it, it's hard for them to even hear some of the things that I lived through, you know? So I understand that there's a lot of um, negative that I could hold on to, but I step outside and I see that sunrise every single day mm. And it gives me hope that I am this small. And even when my problems seem this big, the world is bigger. And the communities that surround us and the good people that are out there far outweigh the negative. And we have to hold on to that. Because if we choose, and I I believe it is a choice, if we choose to hold on to the good people and the good in the world. Good things will come out of that trauma. But if yeah. we choose to hold on to the negative, negative things will ultimately come.
0: Well, those of those of you, he, he, la, 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 la. those of people <laughs> who listen to this podcast regularly, you know, you are sort of press normal buttons here because choice is my favorite word. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, everything for me is a choice. Uh, choices mm-hmm. have consequences, choices are difficult. But for me, you couldn't be a different person today because the, all the situations and everything you've experienced has made you the person you are today. Mm-hmm. And, and I think people forget that. And it's just, mm-hmm. and part of it is the definition of how you see yourself, but also that it's also the the way you've learned from the past as well. Um, Absolutely. And I think learning is a key part of this. I mean, you've learned by watching your, your mother and um, mm-hmm. and I think that's fascinating because not everyone's aware of that at, that role model aspect of parenting, are they? They sort of forget mm-hmm. it.
1: And I think too, as someone that I, I will be a 100% honest, it took me a lot of years to not be angry at my mom mm. and,
0: recognize,
1: and recognize and recognize relationship. Yes. Yes. I mean, we, we didn't speak for years because I was angry at some of the decisions that she made and the, the men that she kept in our lives. Right. But also when you recognize that she was just struggling too. She was just struggling too. And she didn't have all the tools that were available today. And again, the tools that are available today is not enough. That is what's needed. More is needed. But, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was even worse. Right. And so I have to look at her and say, you know, yeah, do I believe that she made some really disheartening mistakes that really affected me and my siblings? Absolutely. But she didn't make them with bad intentions. I and always, she was doing the best she
0: could. That And that thing, I think that's the people, I think people forget that, don't they? You can only make a decision at in, in a period of time with the skills, tools, resources, capabilities that you have. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, I look back on that decision, it was a wrong decision, but it could never have been another decision because you only mm-hmm. had the skills, tools, resources, capabilities that you had. Was it the best decision? No. Was it the best you could have done? That's all you can do. Mm-hmm. It's like the idea in sport that, you know, you do the best you can. If the best you can is not good enough, at least you've done the best you can. And
1: mm-hmm. therefore,
0: whatever decision you've had is is the, the best decision you could have had.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: however, I, you know, you, you you sat me thinking about something a little while ago. And it's just been sitting in my head as we've chatted this through. So forgive me for ch- or just t- changing corn, I'm sure we'll come back to this though. But you talked about being afraid of anger and I'm f- quite fascinated by that because for me, anger is neither good nor bad. It's just energy, just a form mm-hmm. of producing energy and a word that we associate with it. But talk to me a little bit more about this idea that people should be ashamed of anger I'm quite yeah. intrigued at that.
1: Yeah, so I'll, t- I'll tell you another story um, because it plays a big role. So when I was um, 20 years old, I went through a criminal case because my uh, stepfather had abused me and several other victims um, for about seven years. Yeah. And we went through a criminal trial in the American justice system, which touted itself as rendering justice. But uh, oftentimes it doesn't live up to those ideals. Um, so we went through this justice system and I, there I was as someone that had lived through seven years of abuse from this man on the stand and I was angry, Good. but they, you know, the dis- defense attorneys, they pick that apart and they they say that, well, someone that had this happen wouldn't be angry, it would make them sad, you know, And and you are literally picked apart as the victim for being angry. So I was yeah. always so ashamed after he walked away a free man after that trial. Wow. Yeah, and he, he like I said he had had multiple victims um but walked away uh, with a non-guilty verdict. And the closing arguments of that his attorney had stuck with me for so many years. And A lot of the reasons that he was giving that we were lying is because we were so angry and we had a vendetta to to go after him. It wasn't, it was something personal, not what these, you know, false charges is what he was saying, you know. So I lived with that shame of being angry and having so much anger from the situation, but then also watching him walk away after having to bear my soul and go through details of everything that happened. And I got to a point that I realized it's a choice. Society is making me feel that my anger is bad. And right now I'm allowing this anger to just eat at me. And it just feels like this fire that I'm trying to put out. And I just, it's so powerful. I can't, I came to a point with a therapist that I said, if you're going to ask, if you're going to tell me that I need to forgive then I'm gonna not go to therapy anymore. But if you're gonna tell me how I can transform this anger into something powerful and good for the world and use that strength for good, then I will stay. And so that that's really what I what I did.
0: You see, that's fascinating in therapy because often the person centered therapist always think gets confused about the idea of forgiveness. It's about forgiving yourself, not the other person. Um, because it's okay. And the thing is it's an interesting narrative, isn't it, That. Had a man being abused, the idea that they wouldn't be angry is quite interesting. So there's like an inherent sexism of the fact mm-hmm. that women are should be prim and sad and in their place and mm-hmm. helpless and weak and docile, you know, something like the mm-hmm. like a 40s Western, you know, with long dresses mm-hmm. and you know, handbags and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it seems and it seems an odd thing that we don't allow women to be angry. We don't allow women to have strong emotions. There must be mm-hmm. some inherent fear in America of women. <laughs> and i can't i can't put my i can't put my finger on it
1: i think that um we are always told that we shouldn't be angry because if we actually took a look at what society does to us in america as women and how we are treated statistically based on pay and what we contribute to our society i think if we allowed ourselves to feel that anger as a whole we would be dangerous in changing the status quo so i do think that it's a um a bigger thing at play here that it is designed to keep us and and shame us for not feeling angry because boy if every woman that had a rightful anger based on the injustice that she experienced took that fuel and did something with it to create change there would be no stopping women in the United States
0: yeah and and so fantastic first of all I'm going to applaud you for saying that Second, I've been saying this forever. Why should an old white man be saying this and women not saying it for themselves? And there seems to be a brainwashing thing going on in America Mm -hmm. because you hear a lot of American women talking away their rights. Mm -hmm. And and I find that the hardest thing to listen to. And, you know, Mm -hmm. with Me Too, the anger came together a little bit and there was a tiny glimpse of what was achievable. But Mm -hmm. how well have women been brainwashed And, and what's to be done about that?
1: Yeah, I think... We are. Uh, I, I actually started my company. Um, and the reason why I started my company is because I had an old boss that just treated me like a woman couldn't do it. And I was like, you should never do that to me. You did that to the wrong person. Yeah. But um, it is just this every day. I think it's with advertising and it's with all of the information. The, the, the world is so vast where information is just at our fingertips. And that's a beautiful thing, but it can also be really dangerous when, you know, men or, you know, people in power are the ones really creating those messages that women see. So if you see it enough, right, it becomes the truth. And I think that is part of the the problem in uh, what's going on with women. But I don't understand how we can so easily talk our rights away and just be okay with it. But I also on the flip side in the U.S., I think one of the biggest issues is we are so busy. Like we are so, so busy and the, the work weeks are long and you're just fighting to really survive and you have to work. And so people, they know that it's wrong. Right. And they know what's happening is wrong and they want inside, they get angry and you know, they, they want to do something they got to put food on the table for their kids
0: but you know? i wonder, but you see, i, I bear, i'm going to throw your choice word back at you in a minute because of mm-hmm. course you would expect me to um but i just wonder if it, that's not the problem i just wonder if people don't know what to do i often gr- really believe that if there's a lack of action it's because people don't know what to do you don't have a you don't mm-hmm. have a strong female role model someone could follow mm-hmm. it strikes me as bizarre that Michelle Obama for example or um, even Oprah, or whoever, whoever it is, mm. would not be in the political arena throwing their weight around be- because there are, there's a lot of, there's what, 51% of the US are women? All mm-hmm. right, we know a good 10, 15% are going to not vote for them because they're women. But yes. actually, there's a he- heck of a lot of women, men, who will vote for them because there's a lot of men who've worked for women and realised they're mm-hmm. actually quite normal they're just mm-hmm. different, you know, somehow, mm-hmm. you know, they, they don't, they're not that interested in cars and don't play football so much until now sure. they do. And mm-hmm. this, this is the thing you see, it's like this encroachment in our space. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, men have got this vested interest in sort of being defensive rather than recognising the, the, you know, the idea that, if you mm-hmm. if you were truly a United a United States, you would be working together on this, but you're mm-hmm. not, and and yeah. we're not. We're increasingly doing that, and Europe is. I mean, traditionally, for after any pandemic, you know, the world st- swings to the right right of center, and we're doing that now. And you either end up with a hot war or a cold war, and you know, mm-hmm. we seem to be on the same tra- trail. And for me, that's 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 scary, and it just mm-hmm. needs someone to coalesce around, and mm-hmm. you know. Who's going to be the voice of women in America would be a fascinating thing. Maybe that's yes. something your foundation should be looking at a bit more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Maybe it's something I,
0: the work of the hundred women could be looking at, for example.
1: Yes, and I think for for me, one of the things that I love about being able to to be the leader in my company and you know have that ownership is to hire other women that have been really taken advantage of in the U.S. Um, employment yeah. system, right? So they do so much and they they bring in so much revenue and they, they're a huge asset to these companies, but they're paying them $10 an hour. Like yeah. it, it blows my mind in the way that we structure things. And so I think one of the coolest things that I've experienced is I, I really don't believe in, you know, a business that has to that cannot pay their employees a livable wage is not a business i think we need in our society and i don't I, when i look at that right russell i don't think that that's a crazy idea to have but, but it if you say that you're not going to get people that agree with you it's very odd
0: yeah. it's very but, odd that there the are cons- people out there but the con- but the construct of um, a certain form of capitalism is that, isn't it? The company's there to make a huge amount of profit before the shareholders mm-hmm. or the stockholders, and if you're paying people too much, then you are, you know, that's you lose your profit. So any mm-hmm. company that's very very profitable must be underpaying because that that's mm-hmm. the corollary concept. Mm-hmm. But isn't there something called? I was talking to another guest about this uh, conscious capitalism or. Care, there's another form of capitalism which is about mm-hmm. being more ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. If a company is underpaying, it effectively is overtrading and should be out of business because you know that's called a sweatshop or modern labour or whatever mm-hmm. the phrase might be. Mm-hmm. But we don't accept that, do we? We don't accept that we are exploiting people because yes. we we see giving people a job as being some sort of benevolent, mun- municitive gift. Yes. Jobs aren't gifts. They're exchanges, yes. aren't they? They're trade. They're deals.
1: Yes, 100%. And I think for me, these, being able to show, I live in a really small rural town, right? I am probably not, when you talk about politics, not in line with anyone that lives around me, right? But um, my whole goal was to really show other women that not only can you start a business and lead the business, but we can make a bigger impact than some of these men leading these businesses. And that's exactly what we've done. And that is why I just get so proud of the women on my team and the, the fact that we really went for it because here we are a year and a half in and we've raised almost $12 million for students in our community. And no one can convince me, uh, that a, um, That a different structure, a less compassionate business structure, could have been as successful. Mm.
0: No, I I agree, and 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 even if you're slightly less successful, so what? Because you're Mm -hmm. by any stages, you are successful. But mm-hmm. I think you get into the this this competitive degrees of shade and such like, which makes no sense. I coach a number of oddly enough number of very successful American women. I don't know why it seems to become a niche. And I must introduce I must run a little conference for all the people I yes. coach in America who are female because actually, if I could get you all together, that would be quite scary. Yes. Um, right. Okay. So um, so you mm-hmm. mentioned a little uh, a couple of times your organization. Tell us a bit about it,
1: yeah. so we are uh, my company is called Redefined advisors and, um, we really are about redefining the educational system in the United States. So what's happening now is obviously there's you know this spectrum over here and at, no one is really meeting in the middle. And so what's happening is our students are really being failed because they're not funding the public schools in the right way. And so the public schools are failing these students. And there are private educational systems out there that can take these students, but they can't take them for free because they don't get public funding, obviously, right? So what we do is we raise funding for those students that are in public schools that year over year, they don't have the funding they're, they're really failing these kids and they're in underperforming districts that they're able to, we give them and raise the finances so that we can cover their costs. So it's not just the wealthy students that get to leave their public school when it's failing, right? It, it's an opportunity for everyone. Um, so I think for us giving kids that opportunity to have that education, it was so important to me because as a child, I received the same type of scholarship. I went to a public school. I was being bullied. I had terrible experience. And thankfully someone gave me a scholarship through this program and I was able to get out of that. And it gave me a really big hand up in life when I needed it. Um, so when I you know, was a bit older, I realized how much of an impact that had in stopping that cycle of generational trauma and, and generational poverty. So What could I do and what company could I create to multiply that impact to tens of thousands of students? And so that's how it came about.
0: And if people want to find out more about it, where would they look?
1: Yeah. So our website is um, redefiningeducation.org. That's the, the best place to really find out about what we do. We also have a Triumph Over Tragedy Scholarship Award that was very, very important to me. It was my dream to create. And it gives additional scholarships to students that not only may be struggling financially, but have been through some really traumatic experiences, but have remained resilient in the face of adversity. And those are the students and those are the children that, if we can find the kids that went through the darkness but still see the light, those are the ones that we need to help propel forward because they're going to be the change agents in their generation. To push our society forward to a more just world.
0: Mm. Fascinating uh, and it's interesting because we have a, a totally different educational system over here but find exactly the same problems. Um, mm. Ironically everything that's public here is private so we call everything's the wrong, everything the wrong way around but it's, it's fascinating so the scholarship mm. sounds a brilliant idea and uh, you're doing fantastic work and you just have to keep on doing it. Um, now I normally when I meet people, what they're talking about is a book and you're not talking about a book, but you're writing one. Thank goodness. So what's that going to be about?
1: Yes, it's really cool. So it's actually titled The Anger She Keeps, A True Story of Rage and Redemption. And it is really um, about taking that anger and changing it into something that fuels us for the greater good. Yeah. So it's that, that decision between, are we going to take it this way? Or are we going to take it that way? Cause I found myself at a crossroads at one point and I, it was burning me up, right? Like all of this rage that I had, and I had a choice to make, I either go this way or I go this way. And so that's really what it is for women to understand that I'm keeping my anger. It's not something that I have to get rid of. So I'm going to keep it and, and I'm going to use it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: You either use it outwards or inwards, and it's not useful absolutely. inwards, it's very useful outwards. I mean, anger absolutely. is just a source of energy, it's just a it's just a word. Yes. You're absolutely right, people don't understand it. It's another form of semantic de- degradation, which is one of my mm. favorite phrases at the moment. Well, it's been an absolute joy to talk here. And I, I could ch- chat all day, but I know you're you know you're off to do important things and important work. So <laughs> I'm going to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for spending time with us uh again looking more if you want to have a look at the organization uh redefiningeducation.org and no doubt the data, the book details will come because i think that sounds a great story and uh i really thank you so much for spending time with us today
1: yes thank you so much for having me it was a good conversation
0: enjoy you take care you too hi everybody i hope you found that episode useful and interesting Feedback is always welcomed, and if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links.